Okay, so let's get started tonight. Um, so let's do, first I gotta do some house cleaning from last time, from, from Esther 2, a little, just a little bit of house cleaning. Um, and that is, do you remember I was kind of hemming and hawing between superpower and gift and superpower and gift? Did Esther have a superpower or gift? Boy, did the Lord just take me and say, <clears throat> can we have a seat? Would you have a seat here? Can we talk? And we had a talk and it was a good talk. Um, it's, it's one of those talks where you walk away and go, you know, in the Navy we had what we called negative FaceTime and positive FaceTime. And you can probably figure out which is which. But it was, it was positive FaceTime. And the Lord just kind of showed me some things. And first off, he revealed to me, I am a victim of Hollywood. Okay, it's okay. You can confess that too. I'm a victim of Hollywood too. If you've watched any of the Marvel comics, or let's see, it's Marvel. What's the other one? DC. DC comics, yeah. So if you're, you know, you watch the things and you watch, you know, people and they, they always land like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I'm a victim of that. And so... Um, the Lord just kind of, he took me to a verse, and it's a real simple verse. Um, Luke 24, 49. It says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. The promise of my Father upon you. Um, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are what? Endued with power from on high. Okay. Gifts beat superpowers any day of the week, as far as I'm concerned, all right? So I'm going to go with Esther had a gift. Did I say that right? Did I say it right? I didn't say superpowers beat gifts, did I? Good. Okay. Just make that. Okay, that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I need to do a little housekeeping on is um, Esther. Wow. I, I had so many. And if you were here for Esther 1 or Esther 2, you know that I had a whole bunch of preconceived notions about Mordecai, and he was in the negative column. You know, and Esther was in the so-so column. Wow. Mordecai. I, I want to get like a poster of Mordecai for my room or something. The dude, I, the, more I, the more I read about him and the more I understand what he did, the more the, 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 he's, he's, he's up in stature. And all this to say, um, I take teaching this very, very, very serious. And if I misspeak, Boy, I just, I get before the Lord and I say, did I, did I say that wrong? I teach history. And with history, with history, you can make educated guesses. You can read this document and this document and this document. And you come away with an educated guess. Well, I don't, with, with the word, um, I, I want you to know I am non, not nonchalant. I'm very serious about the word. But it's interesting where the, the you know, the, as with Esther, God keeps opening up stuff and opening stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Should I teach that? And, and um, I, I want to preface it. Whatever you hear taught from here, always measure it against this. Okay? Because um, I don't want educated guesses, but I spend a lot of time talking to the Lord. I also spend time talking to my wife. And we're always bouncing stuff back and forth. And so the spirit has time to intervene. And so I will, I will give you some of my ideas as God has spoken them to me. But I want you to always, always, always measure it off of this. Okay? And so I've got some things that I'll talk about tonight, too, where I'm going to do that. But I just wanted to get that housekeeping out of the way, too, because Esther, there's a bunch of stuff between the lines. Well, what, what does it mean when it's, when this, you know, this happened and then this happened. And so what happened in between? Like I told you, one of my, one of my theories last time was that Mordecai, I think Mordecai is a prayer walker. I think he moves around as God needs him to pray for things. And we're going to see that in coming chapters as well. So anyways, if I come out with a theory, please bounce it off of God. Okay. Sound good? All right. We ready to get started? Okay. And I also have to say too. That title, I wrestled with that title for the longest time because, um, and I was talking to Les about this too, the Amalekites. We're going to talk a lot about the Amalekites tonight. Are the Amalekites a threat? Are they a sin? Or are they simply an issue that was from, our, from the past that wasn't dealt with? Okay? And so I kind of went back and forth, and so that title has probably changed about four times um, before tonight, and I'm, and I, but I, I left it with the fact that tonight, chapter 3, we are going to confront the threat, okay? You'll see where the threat is confronted. 
So are we ready to get started with all the housekeeping out of the way? Okay, here we go. Verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Okay, and so we talked about this last time. There is a time break between Esther 1 and 2, and there's a time break between Esther 2 and Esther 3. And so in this case, there's been five years. Esther has been the queen for five years, okay? Um, and in those five years, we see Haman has been advanced, his seat has been advanced amongst all the princes. And we know from chapter 1 that there were seven princes. So does this remind you of anything where one rises from amongst the group? One rises. In Daniel, you see one rises above the ten. In Revelation, we see one rise above the ten. One horn rising above the ten. This is, this is I believe it's, and this is one of those things where I have these theories. I think this is, we're seeing this over and over again, the spirit of Antichrist, where you see it in Daniel. I think we're seeing it here too. Um, and uh, I was listening to, um, was it Jack Hibbs? This is probably about six months ago. And he was talking about Antichrist. He was talking about the Antichrist possibility being amongst us right now. And, you know, that is what it is. But I, he said something I thought that was really interesting. He says, Satan doesn't know when Jesus is coming back. So he always has a guy in the wings. He always has a guy in the wings. And it fits, it fits you, if you see it in the Bible from time to time, this person will rise up and try to do things to God's people. You know, you look at Hitler. I think Hitler was that guy that was in the wings waiting. And what did he do? He tried to kill God's people. And we'll talk about that tonight too. But um, Sandra calls them sleeper units. I, I think that's kind of cool too. But let's talk about the Agagites. And I think we probably know the Agagites. We may not know them under the name of Agagites. Um, we know them under the name of the Amalekites. And we'll get to Ag uh, Ag the Agagites in a second. So, um, and I was talking to Rick about this too, because with Ruth, um, the book of Ruth, I, I'm not necessarily a commentator reader. I prefer the Holy Spirit uh, uh, commentation or common, what do you say that? Commenting? Commentation. Commentation doesn't sound right, though. Yeah, I prefer the Holy Spirit to speak over men, and I tend to not read commentators. But with, with Ruth, for some reason, I keep finding myself jumping into Jewish commentators. And you can always tell you're in a Jewish commentator because they spell God, G underscore D, or they, they don't write out Yahweh, and they'll leave some of the vowels out. And so you know you're in a Jewish commentator commentator stuff, and it's interesting. Um, this stuff is, uh, is very interesting because if you look back, if you chase the Amalekites all the way back to their root, it was the, um, was it the son or the grandson? It was a son, um, uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau's son, Eliphaz, had, um, had a child with his concubine. His concubine is Timnah. You want to read some really just angry Jewish commentators, go look up Timnah, because Timnah was of, I won't say of royal stature, but she was high on the food chain, and she, and she was mad at, the, at, at Jacob's descendants, and she was mad to the point where she lowered herself to become a concubine and played for the other team, Timnah. And so it's, she's an interesting character, but Amalekite, Amalek is born from that union, so he's kind of he has seeded in his heritage vengeance um, from Timnah, from his mother. And so it's an, it has a very interesting, the, the Malachites have a very interesting past. Um, and so if you know anything about Esau, Esau was a wanderer, and Amalek is going to be a wanderer. He is going to lead a group of people that are nomadic pirates. They're desert pirates. And along you know, the northern Saudi, Saudi Arabia, southern Israel kind of area, they're in that area, and they're raiders. That's what they do. Um, and so that's how we're going to get introduced to them. But before I do that, we have to, uh, we have to first set the stage here, a little, a little context here. Um, Abraham has a, has a covenant with God. It's in Genesis 12, 3. And you, we all probably know it because it's real simple. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. The Amalekites are going to put that to test. They're going to put that to the test. They're going to, 
Um, do we really mean that? And it, it, what's been kind of interesting for me is we kind of tread. We, I don't think we really pay attention to that, to that covenant. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those that curse you, especially America. If we look at our politics, and I'm not going to get political tonight, but if we look at our politics, we do not take that verse to heart when dealing with Israel. And we really should. Because when we start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a verse with you tonight that kind of rocked me back on my heels about what God feels about the Malachites. He's not exactly happy with them. And I'll share that with you in a second. So, so, so to set the stage, uh, bless you. Abraham has this covenant, okay, with, uh, with Israel. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Well, Israel comes out of Egypt and they're weak, and they're tired. And guess who rolls in on their weak and, the, and the, their hind quarters is the Amalekites. The Amalekites are gonna roll in and attack them. And that is going to evoke, or invoke, I should say, um, Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. So here we go. It's in um, Exodus 17, verses eight through 14. Now, Malak came and fought with Israel uh, in, in Repidim, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of, of God, the rod of God in my hand. And so and if you remember the story too, he, you know, his arms get tired and they have to like prop them up so that they can keep fighting. You remember that story? And so down to verse 13, it says, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, and pay attention to this because I'm going I'm to go back to this again. Um, I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. I will utterly blot out, okay, the remembrance from Amalek from under heaven. And so that's, that's a promise, and he has that written down to basically to remind Joshua to, to remind Israel, all right? Now, and so we, the next time um, the Amalekites you know, the descendants of Amalek come in. And so you have to understand, once again, and this was, Sarah and I were having a great discussion on the way here. We're just talking about the Amalekites. Um, they're a nomadic group. And so people, you're going to see Joshua. We're going to talk about Saul here in a second. Saul goes after the Amalekites too. People are always going after the Amalekites, yet they keep popping up. They keep popping up. And it makes total sense. They're a nomadic group. So they're here, they're, they're everywhere, right? So how do you get rid of a nomadic group? If you fight them one day and you, you know, they're a nomadic group and they're all over this whole area and you fight them over here and you clean them out all over here, did you get them all? No, because there's some over there. There's some over there and there's some over there. How do you get them all? Hang on to that idea. We'll come back to it. Um, so the next time we see him is with, um, with Saul. Okay. Um, and it's 1 Samuel 15 verses 7 through 9. And Samuel, the prophet Samuel, gives, actually God, through Samuel, gives Saul a, ta a task. Um, and he says, go, you know, go, go fight the Amalekites. In uh, 1 Samuel 15, 7, 9, um, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. And so I'm a, I'm a history teacher, geography. So the first thing I got to do is I got to look that up. Okay, where are we talking? What are these two points, A and B? Where, okay, Saul fought the Amalekites from here to here. Where are those two points? Well, they're roughly where Kuwait City is at the top of the Persian Gulf, all the way over to the Gulf of Aqaba, which is at the top of the Red Sea. So he, he went across the width of Saudi Arabia, across the top, fighting the Amalekites. I think that's pretty good. But he didn't do what he was told to do, right? And that was the thing we were talking about, Senator and I were talking about is, had he killed Agag and not taken the spoils, would he have been okay? You know? And, and so, so it, it's something to think about. But once again... Okay, we're going back to this whole scenario where you've got this huge, huge, big area. And okay, he goes from there, or actually across the top. He goes across the top and, and kills the Amalekites. But what about the wanderers here, the nomads in here? Have we gotten them all yet? Still haven't gotten them all, right? Hang on to that thought. All right. So, um, yeah, so Saul's sin. Um, 
there's there's kind of it's it's something interesting here. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm, I got my notes out of order here. I just realized they're out of order here, but that's okay. Um, so Saul's sin actually brings his brings his. Let me back up and give you a little so, uh, uh, some more background too. Saul dies, okay, and later, or not Saul dies, Samuel dies. Later on, Saul goes to a witch, has Samuel's spirit um, brought back. And so I'm not going to, we're not going to debate, you know, that topic tonight, but it's, I want to just, Samuel says something that I really kind of was like a, the light turned on for me on this. Okay, when he talks to Saul and tells him what his sin was, it's in 1 Samuel 28, 18. He says, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his, and this is where it's a light bulb moment for me, his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. And so, so Saul's, Saul was supposed to execute the Lord's fierce wrath. Okay, for me, that's a double negative, fierce wrath. Okay, if God was angry at me, at, at, at somebody, if he had wrath on somebody, that would be pretty bad. Do you agree? But what about if God had fierce wrath? Let's take a double negative. That means God's really mad, right? And so it was, it was an interesting thing for me. And then, then you kind of step back for a second. Okay, so Saul, and I got there's too many S's here, Saul and Samuel. I keep getting confused. Saul was supposed to execute Agag, right? He didn't. How did Agag die? Samuel killed him. He hacked him into pieces. Okay, this is a prophet. This is a prophet. And it says, if you go back and look at it, it's in, uh, I'm not going to read that tonight because it's kind of gory. Um, 1 Samuel 15.33. 1 Samuel 15.33. Um, Samuel hacks um, Agag to death. He hacks him, he hacks him into pieces. And it says he does it before the Lord. And so this is this whole thing of fierce wrath of the Lord towards these people. And it was just kind of a, a light bulb moment for me that, these, that, um, that if you bless those, you know, God's going to bless those that um, bless Israel. God is really fiercely wrathful for those that come against his people. And so we're going to deal with that tonight. Um, and so, so what do we do is we end up with these Agagites. These Agagites are descendants of King Agag. Um, and so once again, Agag is killed, yet his people are nomadic people because they're spread out all over the place. But don't worry, the book of Esther is going to deal with that. So that's the first verse. All right, let's get to the second verse. Um, and, and all the king's servants who were with the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, Haman, sorry. For so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Um, then the king's servants who were with the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Why aren't you vaccinated? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, he would not listen to them. And they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them he was, he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, um, Haman was filled with wrath. Um, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, um, the people of Mordecai. So here we go. We're introducing the threat. That's the threat right there. Haman's the threat. All right. So now Haman, Haman's, uh, he's a smart guy. Okay. He remembers, he remembers the Jews and he remembers what they did. He remembers, he remembers um, uh, Joshua. He remembers Saul. He remembers Samuel. Okay. Um, and I, I, I skipped one side note too. Do you guys remember how Samuel dies? Or not Samuel. I keep getting these S names confused. Do you remember how Saul dies? Sword of Amalekites. So these Amalekites, they just keep coming up. They're like cockroaches. They're everywhere. 
Anyways, so um, uh, Haman has basically the king's ear, and he's got the whole Persian Empire. And if you remember that from last time, Persian Empire goes from Egypt up to Greece and all the way to India. So we're talking all the real estate just about. And so Haman's got this idea, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm not, uh, yes, Mordecai made me angry, but I'm taking this, I'm going to make a bigger thing of this. I'm going to finally get rid of those people who tried to wipe us out, okay? Um, and so we have Mordecai, what's his, what's his, what's his offense here? He refused to bow, he refused to bow. Okay, and so once again, I did some reading and some of those Jewish commentators. It was real interesting um, because they really don't like um, this Haman guy. They really don't like him. And so they, the, some of the Jewish commentators, and I don't buy this, but they were saying, and that's why I don't read commentators, but they think that some of them think that he had uh, an idol uh, in either he was wearing an idol or had an idol embroidered on his robe, and that's why he refused to bow. I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. Um, I, once again, going back to theories of mine, whatever you want to call those things, um, um, I, have, I have a different, I have a different uh, reason for that. But um, I have to back up and stop because one thing, and, and we had great discussions too, and I, and I hope you have good discussions with your spouse or somebody. We, we have great ones. Um, I, th I think it's been a perfect, it's just a total side note. This world is getting so crazy, Yes. Okay, we've turned off that. We've turned off that. We don't watch any of that stuff. And instead, we just have like these conversations. And so we talk about silly things like the Amalekites, you know what I mean? But um, we're talking about bowing. Is it wrong to bow to somebody? Biblically, is it wrong? Idols, yes. It's wrong to bow to idols, but it is not wrong to bow to men. Because, okay, where this thing all goes back to Esau and Jacob. Guess what? So Esau's really mad, right? And he's coming, he's on the road in. What does Jacob do to him seven times? He bows to him. Yes, he's trying to, you know, appease his anger, but he bows to him seven times. There is nothing wrong to bowing to somebody. It's not, I mean, it's not offense. I don't see it as an offense. Biblically, I don't see it as an offense. And so for, for him to bow to Haman, I don't think um, was biblically wrong. And, and feel free to pull me aside afterwards and say, ah, what about this right here? But the, the, all the ones I've looked at all talk about bowing to idols. We're not supposed to bow to idols. So nothing wrong with bowing. Um, but I think what's happening here, um, it, it looks like he's disobeying a law. Um, but I think, quite honestly, he's recognizing the threat. He sees Agag for who he is, and he remembers who he was, who he was. Uh, and I have a theory, too. This is just, okay, these are crazy theories I come up with. Okay, Saul was a Benjaminite, yes? Guess what Mordecai is? A Benjamite. God, is, God had a task for Saul to do that I honestly think Mordecai is going to complete. God has called the Benjaminites to, to basically take care of the Amalekites. I eventually, I believe that Mordecai is that person who carries that out. Um, yep, I think it's going to be Mordecai, and, and you have to stay tuned because it doesn't happen until the end of the uh, book of um, Esther. But um, here's, here's, the, here's the, the cheat sheet or the, the spoiler alert. Okay, um, Mordecai is going to be the author of wiping out Haman and all his friends, okay? And oh, by the way, remember we talked about this whole nomadic thing? How do you, how do you quench, how do you get rid of a nomadic problem? Well, guess what? When you own all the property, guess what you can do? You can exterminate that. And so that's one thing I think that's kind of interesting for, um, for Mordecai. That's why I say I, I mean, he's, he's, starting to, he's starting to go up on my list of... Um, favorite biblical people. I don't plan on dressing up as Mordecai for Halloween or anything, but he's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day of the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. 
Okay, so here's, a, here's another one of those things. Remember talking about between the lines? What, who's the they? Who's the they? It doesn't say who the they are, right? But we, can we, can we uh, somewhat safely assume that they're people who didn't like the Jews? Okay? And if, if Agag is an Amalekite, it might be safe to assume, too, that there are Amalekites that are conspiring together. Um, uh, it, he, historically, um, I think he was supposed to have had, it's, it's said that he had something like, Haman had something like 365 advisors, you know, one for every day of the year. And so uh, it, could be, it could be his intimate friends, because we're going to find out about those later on in, in Esther. In the fifth chapter of Esther, we're going to find out that he has, he, has, he has close friends and advisors and his wife. Okay, and those are the people um, that he listens to. It could be those. It could also be the people who were at the gate. Remember, there were the people who turned him in initially there? Could be those as well. We don't know who they are. Um, but we, we do find out that it falls on the 12th month. And oh, by the way, this happens in the first month. So all the people, all the Jews, are, are, are going to find out here shortly um, that they've got a year to live, which, which kind of begs the question, what would you do if you had a year to live? You know, it's an interesting thing. Verse, verse 8. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. All right. Um, I teach AP World History, and I teach my kids how to write, and I teach my kids how to form an argument. This is a terrible argument, guys. This is a terrible argument. This, this, wouldn't, this wouldn't hold up. Um, uh, and oh, by the way, too, I have to say, too, uh, once again, I've put my history teacher hat on. Xerxes used to be like, I used to have like the Xerxes poster. Not really, but I, you know, I, in my head, I had a Xerxes poster. The guy was pretty big. This, this is, he's, he, that poster's been torn down, and it's, it's going in the fire. Um, this guy's not that, not that good. So here's the first thing. He's going to make three statements. Here's the first statement. A certain people scattered and dispersed. Okay, that word dispersed means divided. That's a true statement. That is a true statement. All right? So that would probably work on your argument. However, guess who scattered and dispersed them? God did. Ezekiel 36, 19. So I scattered them among the nations and that they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. And we've talked about that in the past with, with uh, Esther 1 and 2. We talked about how they ended up where they were. Okay, But you have to understand, a people who are scattered and dispersed are not a threat to the Persian Empire. Does that make sense? They're scattered and dispersed. Okay, so we say we need to destroy these people. Well, your first, your first statement is they're scattered and dispersed. So then why should we destroy them? Doesn't make sense. It's true, but it doesn't make sense. The second uh, statement he makes, um, their, their laws are different from the others. Okay? True statement, but once again, not a threat. Okay? And so if you look at it, um, Deuteronomy, um, Israel's laws are God's laws. And Deuteronomy 4, 7 through 8 uh, kind of bears that out. It says, for, the, for what great, great nation is there? that has God so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us. For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that with such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all the law, which I set before you this day. And so uh, Israel did have laws different from Persian laws, but they were God's laws. Once again, I don't see a problem here. Um, and then the last thing he, ha he says is they do not keep the king's laws. This is totally false. With the exception of Mordecai, they're keeping the laws. Matter of fact, I think probably every single one in this room has probably struggled with today's laws, I would say. Um, I know I have. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I read um, Romans 13 verses 1 and 2. Um, and so, and I would say too, and I'll read it to you, so you, we're at least all on the same sheet of music. 
Um, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and, and, and those who resist um, will bring judgment on themselves. You know, God is, God is in, the, in the business of promoting. He, he promotes, you know, a promotion comes neither from the north, the south, the east, or the west, but promotion comes from the Lord, right? So if the people who are in charge, whether it's Xerxes or whether it's President Biden or you, President, you fill in the blank, God put them there and we're supposed to honor them. And so once again, he says, um, they do not keep the king's laws. Um, God's people should recognize that they're where they are because God's in charge and they need to honor those people. Now, there you have to draw the line. Everybody has to draw the line. When it goes against what God believes, um, then you, that's where you depart. And that's, that's in um, Acts 5.29. We ought to obey God rather than men. And so that's, I think, probably the biggest thing we struggle with today, you know, with, with all the things that are coming from our government is we, we want to do Romans 13, 1 and 2, um, but we, we struggle with, you know, where, where's the line at with that? But anyways, his three arguments totally don't make sense to get rid of the Jews. But nonetheless, verse 9. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it to the king's treasures. And so he's kind of, if you've heard Esther 1 and 2, you know the king is all about pleasure. And so he's, he's kind of tickling that thing. Um, I looked up 10,000 talents, and I, my math may be a little fuzzy, but it's around $3 million. And then my, my history brain was like, okay, you know, how much is this equivalent to what Persia was making? And it turned out to be it's about half of their annual GDP, their gross domestic product. How much does the Persian Empire bring in on any given uh, year? And it was about $6 million. So he's offering him $3 million, which kind of speaks to just the size of how many Jews were in the empire, at least how many that he thinks they are. So he's, he's willing, Haman's willing to foot the bill. $3 million, I got it, you know. Um, I can get some more air miles from that. So he, he puts the card down and does it. Okay. This bothers me for Xerxes, though. Xerxes is having a conversation about people in his kingdom, and he doesn't even know who they are. And he's going to about to sign off on, on having these people exterminated. And he never even asks, um, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about the Hittites, you know, or the, this group or that group? You know, which group are we talking about? He never even asks. Which, 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 with me, kind of, um, you know, he, he's, there's, he doesn't seem to care. And he's got another problem, too, we're about to find out. Verse 10. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of uh, Hamadatha, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. So... Um, it says ring here, and it may, in fact, be a ring. But I know the Persians tended to have a, um, it was a cylinder that they would roll on a piece of clay. And that, or, or, you know, and just roll it across the bottom of the paper, kind of like a little ink thing. And, and that was the king's seal. Um, and and it's, it's interesting here because um, I think the king, not only does he lack knowledge or care for his people, he, does, he lacks discernment as well. Um, because he does something here that I think is totally unwise. I mean, I think about me. Who would I trust making decisions for me? And it would be my wife or my children. I would trust them to make decisions. Um, but also, too, we, once again, and this is our legal society, we, t you know, we, have, we have powers attorney, powers of attorney. And sometimes we'll have what's called a limited power of attorney. Okay, I want you to do this task. Okay, so Josiah, I want you to do this task. Here's a limited power of attorney. You can speak on my behalf and get this task done. Limited power of attorney. Make sense? Do you realize what he gave Haman? Unlimited power. It's as if Haman was the king. He's got the king's seal. To me, that's like a, what were you thinking? That's a serious, seriously, we used to say in the Navy, a blow in head work. Right? You remember those days? Yeah, I, I do. 
blowing head work. So anyways, um, yeah. Well, that's the other thing, too. He says here in verse 11, he says, the money and the people are given to you. And so what, the other thing he's saying, too, is he says, don't worry about it. Yeah, you offered the money. You offered the money. Don't worry about it. Um, the, the people are yours. And I, 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 he seems to be uh, uh, insinuating that, oh, by the way, the money that's collected um, will, will, you know, will get you paid back. So the money, don't worry about the money. We'll go ahead and do it. And that's, that bothered me as well. Um, and it, it kind of reminds me, too, um, you know, where you basically, or when you kill a group of people and you take their belongings and you profit from them, does that remind you of any time in history? Yeah. Or how about like the Holocaust? I don't know. Uh, we, we, we went to a, um, uh, when we, were, we lived in Europe, um, and we went to uh, a concentration camp. Um, and I'm, I, the name escapes me right now. Mothhausen, thank you. We went to Mothhausen and we kind of did, Sandra and I did a research, and one of the things that happened with, with the concentration camps in Europe, um, the people were so disgusted with them, they burned them down and got rid of them. Uh, and so most of the concentration camps, if you go visit a concentration camp today, mostly it's just a barren field or they'll have plaques and, and, and you, know, um, you know, memorials for all these uh, people who died. But Mothhausen, um, they did not destroy it. A portion of it is still there, as was left. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's crazy. To, you, as you, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, because I didn't plan on spending time on this. But as you, as you come in the very front gate for Mothhausen, you walk into this area that probably has the footprint of about this area here, about five times out, okay? And so it's a fairly big opening, but it's all walled around. So you, you, you come in, if you're, if you're Jewish and you're going to Mothhausen, and every single, uh, about every uh, 10 feet is a door on both sides, and then there's stairs at the end. And what they do is they came in, when you came in, those were all warehouses for your stuff. And they had jewelry and, and this and this and this and silverware and stuff because the Jews, when they left, they, had, they took a lot of their possessions with them. Well, they have warehouses and then that stuff, the Germans confiscated, okay? And it's very similar to what's being offered to Haman right here, all right? So verse 12, then the king's scribes were, were called on the 13th day of the first month and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who over each province, to the officials of all the people, to every province according to its script and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. So it's as if the king did this. So this is anti-Semitism in broad daylight. Anti-Semitism. There, we're not hiding this, guys. We're doing it in broad daylight. And once again, this reminds me of World War II, the, before World War II, the Holocaust. Um, I, I just, I, it's like the similarities are so eerie. Um, and I'll give you an example, Mein Kampf. If you don't know what Mein Kampf was, it's a, tech, it's a book that Hitler wrote, and he outlined exactly what he's going to do. And Mein Kampf was a book uh, in, in Germany prior to World War II that was so popular, it would have been like, you know, on Oprah Winfrey's bestsellers list kind of thing. And so it was number one, and it was not uncommon as a wedding gift, you got Mein Kampf. You know, everybody loved it, and Hitler was saying, this is what I'm going to do, okay? And I'm going to get rid of this people group, and this people group, and this people group. He, he did it in broad daylight. The Nuremberg Laws, I don't know if you, know, if you heard the Nuremberg Laws, this is done in broad daylight. They stripped the Jews in Germany of their citizenship rights. So under the German constitution, you have X, Y, and Z as your rights. They stripped them in Nuremberg, okay? The Nuremberg laws. If you're Jewish, you, ha you, you have no more citizenship. Well, I think this is ironic. This is very ironic because um, the allies, this is history teacher speaking, sorry. Um, the allies bomb uh, Germany, yes, and they bomb, they firebomb all the cities. And so at the end of the war, they want to have a trial to, to try the war criminals. But the problem is they've bombed all the cities and all the courtrooms. There's no courtroom big enough to, have, to, to hang, hang 
they hang, they do end up hanging them, to handle all these criminals except in one city. Guess what? Nuremberg. That's so, that's so ironic. They stripped the Jews of their citizenship in that city and they paid for it in that city. Interesting. In broad daylight. Um, the other thing too, a couple more things. I'm not finished with history. Sorry, is ghettos. Ghettos. They rounded up the Jews into ghettos in the middle of the cities. Everybody saw it happening. There was no like, oh, did you see that? No, I didn't see it yesterday. How could I, how could I, you know, in the middle of cities, these ghettos spring up. Um, and then they're eventually shift off to, to, to concentration camps. When we went to Mothhausen, um, okay, think of, think of it like Oak Harbor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place Mothhausen. I'll give you some relative uh, kind of like landmarks that we could identify with. Pretend Mothhausen is at City Beach. Now, could you ask anybody in Oak Harbor where is City Beach? And they'd say, I don't know. Everybody in Oak Harbor knows where City Beach is, right? What do they call it now? Windjammer Park? Okay, so if you're new here, Windjammer Park, right? We all know where it's at. When we come up, when we were trying to find Mothhausen because we drove up there, um, and we're like, we come into locals and we say, uh, where's Mothhausen? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're so embarrassed of it um, because everybody we talked to, we went all around Mothhausen before we actually found it. Um, we drove all around it because nobody, everybody wouldn't tell us where it is, but it was right next to the city. They had a concentration camp right next to the city. It was all done in broad daylight. That's what's happening here. That is exactly what's happening here. Okay. Now, now I'm, I'm not. I haven't. Lo- I haven't glossed over this. You may think I've glossed over the thirteenth day of the first month. I haven't. I'm coming back to that. But this happens on the thirteenth day of the first month. Okay. And if you know what the fourteenth day of the first month is, shh, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. It's Valentine's Day, by the way. Anyways, um, verse thirteen. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's providences to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day. On the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to plunder their possessions, a copy of this document was was to be issued as law in every providence, being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. Okay, so this is all the king's providences. This is the whole thing, including Jerusalem. And it's going to be a one-day slaughter. And so every, every Jew is put on notice, you're going to die in a year. Okay? Verse 15. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, or should we say Haman's command, uh, and the decree was proclaimed to Shishan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shishan was perplexed. And that's where we end Esther 3. So... The, 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 the perplexed means confused. Everybody's confused. Everybody's like scratching their head. What just happened? What just happened? And, and it kind of reminds me, you guys know what a mic, mic drop is, right? Maybe some older folks don't know what a mic drop is. Yeah, everybody's going like this. Okay, so some of you guys know. I can always tell them with my students in class whether they get it or not just by the look on their face. And I'm doing this and some of you guys are like, what is that? A mic drop is when you, you basically have said something that's, you basically silenced everybody, you got the last word, and you drop the mic and you walk away. Okay? That's what's just happened here. The enemy has just done a mic drop. So it's game over, right? It's all done, right? We might as well just close up and go home, right? We got a year to live. Not even close. Not even close. Okay. And it kind of reminds me, too, you know, you, you think about, okay, I got no place to run. I got no place to run. I got no place to run. Does that remind you of anything as God's people? Do we have no place to run? Check this out. I love this verse. This is kind of like, this is one of like, like it's got to be top 10 of one of my verses. Um, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Okay, I'll probably get emotional just reading it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Can we, can, we get a, can we ever be too far? He's with us always. In Psalm 23, I read that in the beginning. Psalm 23 is that whole reminder that 
we have a shepherd who's guiding us. And yes, sometimes we're going to, you know, have dinner in a place that we're not really happy about. But God's there. He's taking care of it. He's going he's to provide for us. This is part of the plan. So now let's go back to that date. Okay, so it's this proclamation goes out on the 13th day of the first month. What's the 14th day of the first month? I said Valentine's Day. That was a hint. Valentine's Day is for lovers, right? Passover. Passover is the 14th day. That's when God provides for his people. What did, what was, I mean, what, what happened in Passover? Remember, death passed over God's people. So on the 13th day of the first month, if my, if my Jewish calendar is correct, the Jews are preparing for Passover when it's, Passover is the very next day, and that's when they get the news they're all going to die. And they're preparing for Passover. So hopefully they're like going, now wait a second. Tomorrow's Passover. What are we supposed to be remembering? The, 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 the angel of death passed over us if we had faith in God. The angel of death would pass over us. Make sense? Okay. And so I, I, know, I think Rick taught this one time. I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. I don't remember that. He was saying that, you know, when he taught it, that um, when, when they, would, they would basically sprinkle the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, that they basically did the top, the bottom, and the side. Which is what? Yeah. And so um, Passover, trust in God, death will pass by. And it's kind of a really, I think, I think this is God, you know, the enemy thinks he did the mic drop and God's like, <laughs> he's not paying attention to the calendar. He's doing on this on the night before Passover. Matter of fact, the night, the night before Passover, a good Jew is going to be like going through the, the house one more. I, don't they like look for the leaven and stuff and get it all cleaned out? You know, like, did we get it? Oh, there's a speck right there. Get that? Yeah. Yeah. So good Jews would be doing that. Um, and the Lord gave me like three things. Um, and and I, have to, I have to give credit where credit is due. If you guys know Michael Dieter, don't ever go to his house and ask for the heavy blanket. Okay. He's got, I don't know if you guys have these heavy blankets. Have you ever had them before? And it's basically, it's weighted. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. I see the eyebrows over there. Uh-huh. I know what it is. But it's weighted. And, and I've never tried it, but he's, he keeps convincing me that you got to put one of these things on. When you put one of these things on, you, they'll put you to sleep. It's so comfortable that, you know, this, this heavy blanket on you. And so trust me, you know, if I didn't have nothing else, go over to Mike's house and try it out. Let me know how it works. <laughs> but the, the Lord, the Lord kind of gave me a vision. Um, and, and anybody, if you know me too, the Lord gives me these little cool little visions, whenever I pray for people, the Lord will say, hey, here's a picture for you to just kind of think about. And um, when I was thinking about the Jews in this time, um, we used to have a term in the Navy called a helmet fire, okay? Where basically, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm panicked and my head's, my, hel my, hel my helmet, my hair's on fire because my, and that's my helmet holding it on. But you basically, you're super panicked to the point where you can't think. And God gave me a picture, and it was kind of like that heavy blanket. And he says, let my thoughts cover your thoughts. Make sense? Let my thoughts cover your thoughts. And he gave me three things. When faced with a threat, when you're confronting a threat, three things to allow his thoughts cover your thoughts. Here's the first one. Remember his promise. Okay? That's the first thing. For his thoughts to cover your thoughts. Remember his promise. Ten, John 10.10 10 says, The thief um, does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. Yes? Do we stop there? This is Jesus speaking, by the way. No. He says, But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Make sense? Okay, so the thief's going to come. But remember his promise. Remember his promise. He's came so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. So that's the first thing when confronting a threat and you're covering your thoughts with God's thoughts. Remember his promise, John 10, 10. The second thing is realize his presence. And this is a big one. I think this is probably the biggest one. If you can realize he's beside you, whether it's the 23rd Psalm or whether you go to Deuteronomy 31. Um, Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 and 8. Be strong. And of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, 
He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Okay? So that's, so first one is remember his promise, John 10, 10. Second one is realize his presence, Deuteronomy 31, 6 or 8. And the last one, and the worship team wants to start coming up. The last one is receive your future. So remember his promise, realize his presence, and receive your, fu- your future. And that's Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is a good one, too. This is maybe on, like, your top ten verses as well. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you what? A future and a hope. Make sense? So we'll close with that. We'll close with, with um, the enemy thought they had a mic drop, but he did it on the day before Passover. Bad move. Bad move. And God, God, God's not done. Wait, wait till, I mean, Esther. I don't know when we'll get a chance to go back and visit Esther again, but um, God's not done. Father, we thank you for um, your word. Father, I thank you for just the comfort that um, you never leave us or forsake us. You walk beside us. Um, you carry us, you lead us, you guide us. Uh, there's so many adjectives that you do lovingly toward us that when the threat comes, um, we just need to hide inside of you. We need to let you take our fears away. We need to let you take all our cares away. Um, and you will, you will just fill us with your spirit and fill us with hope and fill us with a future. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for, um, for this evening and for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.